Maverick News presents The Rick Walker Show Defrag your mind Hello everybody, hello Maverick family, hello new viewers Welcome to this great big world The whole world is watching And we have a lot of stuff to share with you tonight Shooting in Prague Rise of the drones Warfare has certainly changed And our contributor in Crimea, Kevin Michalizzi, will join us shortly to bring us up to date on the drone attacks that have been happening on both sides, Ukraine and Russia. We have Donald Trump still under pressure. It isn't just Colorado that's trying to keep him off the ballot. Two more states have joined that. Dangerous stuff, to be sure. Rudy Giuliani filing for bankruptcy in the wake of that 146 or $48 million decision by that court. He's been ordered to pay reparations to Georgia election workers who court says he defamed. Christian Freeland just doesn't seem to get it. Totally out of touch. Has no way to relate to regular Canadians during Christmas. That. And Maxime Bernier has been found guilty of violating COVID orders during the pandemic out in Saskatchewan, along with uh, quite a few other um, anti-lockdown Canadians. Absolutely uh, concerning. So we'll bring, bring up to date on all of that. Plus, we have the latest information on a sex ring that has been operating out of Boston and Virginia, I believe it is, and 28 U.S. politicians, military officers uh, are being charged in connection with this. So we'll explain that. Plus, we have old video of Jeffrey Epstein that uh, is out there where he's being questioned, and that is related to the story about the Epstein passenger list possibly being released very soon. So we have all that and more coming up right after this. Don't go away. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others. Out. Of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. 
We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now, tomorrow, maybe too late, too late, too late, too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Jingle bells. Trudeau smells. Biden laid an egg. Klaus Schwab's deal has no appeal. But tomorrow is a brand new day. Hey everyone. Have a merry maverick Christmas. And a magnificent new year. First up tonight, a student opened fire at a university in Prague. At least 14 people have been killed. Uh, at least 20 others have been injured. Took place in the philosophy department building at Charles University. The shooter apparently was a student, according to Prague police. The gunman, his name has not been released. He is uh, reportedly dead. In fact, uh, the newest information just coming in says that at least 25 were injured, not the 20 that I just mentioned. That number now increasing to 25. Police have no details about the victims, no information on a possible motive for this mass shooting. Czech Interior Minister Vit Rakusen says investigators do not suspect a link to any extremist ideology or groups. As we can see, mass shootings are not exclusive to the United States or the West, or I should say North America. Um, So, according to police officials, a search of the alleged gunman's home has taken place. They say that this uh, person was an excellent student, had no criminal record, but they really have no other information to share at the moment. This is video from the scene today. And I caution you, this may be disturbing. So if your discretion, of course, is advised.
So that looks like it was the moment at which the uh, the shooter was taken down. Um, this is footage of students hiding and police on scene. So we'll continue to follow that story. If there is uh, any additional information, we can bring that out. There's uh, here's additional footage of the shooter. Jo. 
Ty zmrde, skurvený. Já bych ho trefil moc úplně. Dělejte do píče. So as we say, the gunmen suffered um, devastating injuries. Um, not clear though if he killed himself or if he was shot to death. Couldn't tell from that video. We don't have an official word from the authorities there at this hour. We are continuing to monitor this and. If we get more information that is of value through the course of the evening, we will share it with you right here. Okay. This situation with Donald Trump is escalating. And is honestly beyond control. I would say, well, I don't know about that. It is excessive. It is dangerous. And New York and California now both joining the effort to remove Trump from primary ballots. So we saw that Colorado had a court ruling saying that Trump is not eligible to run because he's an insurrectionist. And yet he has not been convicted of any crime. Now, here we I see last night, that California has joined. They're going to try to keep him off the ballot there. Now, New York has renewed its push to bar President Trump from the state's presidential ballot. And this happening because of what happened in Colorado with the Supreme Court's ruling there this week. Trump, of course, vowing, his legal team vowing to appeal that decision, saying it is flawed, <coughs> excuse me, um, and we had a lengthy discussion about it last night, so I don't have to get into it deep here again. Um, we went over what the 14th Amendment is all about. That bans anyone who engaged in an insurrection from holding civil or military office. And that is at the heart of the Colorado ruling, of course, of that. And a lot of constitutional experts are weighing in on this, saying that they expect the appeal will be successful with some of them. 
anticipating um, a unanimous decision on that in Trump's favor. But I don't know how much this complicates things to have other states now lining up to do exactly the same thing. Just don't know. Um, up until this point, I've been pretty much convinced that everything we've been seeing with regard to Trump has been largely political theater. None of the lawfare really, uh, it's sort of toothless, very dramatic, designed to have some impact on public opinion. Largely that has backfired on the Democrats. But I don't know. This this feels different to me somehow. That's not anything um, academic. That's certainly not an intellectual response. I'm just telling you, it's, it's a gut feeling. Like this is something different. Uh, it feels more organic. It feels more feels more real, especially with these other two states now getting into line with this. Vivek Ramaswamy saying that he's going to remove his name from the ballot in Colorado. He's calling on the other GOP contenders to do the same thing. We ran that clip with Vivek last night saying that if they all just drop off the ballot, then what they're trying to do in Colorado would have no impact. But now that we have these other states joining in, I don't know what they're going to do. What are they all going to start dropping off all the the states where they're not going to participate? I, I don't know where it goes. I do know this. If they can, I do know where it goes if they continue doing it. And if they keep him off the ballots to the point where he can't run for president, then you've got a country divided a country that could easily descend into darkness, conflict, a place we don't want to go. This is a huge mistake. It, this is selfish. It is, uh, I think, is designed to divide. It's dangerous. They know it, and they don't care. When I say they, I am talking about the Dems, the Democrats, the ones, the inner circle, the power elite the ones who really pull the strings, the ones who have control of, I hate to say it, the deep state. So we'll be keeping our eye on that as well. At least one, maybe both. Rudy Giuliani is filing for bankruptcy because the lawfare that they've used against him resulted in that $148 million verdict against him for, according to the court, defaming two former Georgia election workers. Giuliani, of course, saying that uh, there was election shenanigans going on and uh, named them publicly. So they've come after him. For $146 million, his lawyers saying tonight that there's no way the court could have realistically expected him to pay that amount of money. So, 
he's filing for chapter 11 and his lawyers say that will give Rudy Giuliani time to pursue the appeal that he's going to, um, to launch and while also providing transparency for his finances under the supervision of the bankruptcy court. All that to ensure that the creditors are treated equally and fairly throughout the process. See, that's the way the left, that's the way the Dems work. Lawfare, cancel culture. They're going after Rudy Giuliani in a way that is designed to literally destroy him, to send a message to others to other conservatives. Don't even think about standing in their way. That's the message that they're sending by going after him. It's a warning. If you oppose us, we will destroy you. If that isn't authoritarian, I don't know what is. It's bad for the country. It's dangerous. And again, if, if these kinds of activities continue, and I think they will, heading into the next presidential election, you're going to have a citizenry that is on the edge of literally civil war. If they don't let Trump run, it's at that point. You saw what happened on J6. That, in my opinion, did not rise to the level of a insurrection. A protest that got out of hand, maybe it's some in some cases a riot. Were there people there who would have liked to unseat the government because they have a different view on what happened with that election? Oh, yeah. But did they engage in an actual insurrection? I've seen insurrections. I've seen revolutionaries storm capitals, unseat governments. It's not pretty. And what happened on J6 ain't that. No, no, you don't. You don't storm a capital for an insurrection. to unseat a government and install a new one in a coup <laughs> well, and, and take selfies while you're doing it. Well, maybe you do these days conduct warfare and live stream it. Maybe you do, and maybe you do take some selfies. We've seen that just recently, haven't we? Indeed. We saw that on October 7th. Yeah. And we're seeing video, I guess, and still images used as part of the information war all the time now. So maybe I'm mistaken about that. But I still don't think it rose to the uh, level of an insurrection because the kind of selfies they were taking looked more like they were there on a tour rather than a takeover. Stay with me. We'll uh, We'll come back after this and Dig into some more of today's top news stories.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Man, oh 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 man. What times we're living in. I gotta tell you. Maxime Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada, along with dozens of others, have been found guilty of violating a Saskatchewan public health order. These people were ticketed uh, for attending a Vimy memorial gathering in May of 2021 against public health mandates. These restrictions under Saskatchewan's public health order at the time um, limited outdoor gatherings to just 10 people and also required the mandatory use of face masks. We all know what that was about. Police were on scene. They re took recordings of the people there and then they ticketed them. So they ended up in court this week. They've been dealing with all these cases. I think there were some over 40 different people involved in total. And Saskatoon Provincial Court Judge Quentin Douglas Agnew rejected the arguments from the defendants that they were targeted while counter-protesters at the Free Palestine rally adjacent were left alone. So in his written decision, the judge says that the defendants suggested that a deliberate decision had been made by police to target them and not the counter-protesters. But the judge said, no, that's not true. There's no evidence of that. He said that police were just there and they just had more resources devoted to the, to the Vimy Ridge Memorial. And police have discretion on how they handle these things. It's, oh, no, there's no, no discrimination here. There's no, um, there was no targeting of anybody. Uh, you must be imagining it, I guess. Uh, yeah. Police identified some of the protesters by comparing their photos in the SGI Auto Fund databank video taken at the rally, according to the judge. SGI also provided the date of birth and last known mailing address, among other information, to officers on the scene. They used other means to, to identify a lot of the, uh, the other defendants. Um, a, lot of, a lot of pretty... Brave people are there. And I'll tell you, um, there are some prominent names among those who have been found guilty, guilty, guilty of gathering outside and standing around with people. So among those found guilty were Maxime Bernier, of course, Peter Christophe Bocher, Bartle Boot, Jacob Boot, Jackson Boot, Jenny Boot. 
Looks like the whole boot clan was down there. I don't know those folks. Phyllis V. Barassa, Rachel Cole, Breton Har Harley Cook, Wallace Cottingham, Cheryl Drebbit, Gerald Ferguson, Mark Friesen of the Buffalo Party, also associated with the PPC, um, also a live streamer and social media influencer, political activist. Pierre-Marc Robert Gruel, Frederick John Harrison, maybe you recognize some of these people, Joyce Harrison, Michaela June Herbel, Deborah Rose Hretzina, Sarah Huizing, Corey Klassen, Dominica Kozłowska, Cody Kuntz, a familiar name, Arlie LaRoe, Halden Lindbergh, Megan Mashnikst, Daryl T. Mills, Alexander Neskimento, Terrence Nash, Louise Augusto B. Penatinato, Brianna Pexklekwe, Wayne Stephen Peters, Amanda Filipenko, Joyce Anna Pierce, Adrian B. Scaro, Michael Stein, Luke Tournier, Michelle Tournier, Pamela Waldner, and Richard Brent Wintingham. So what are you looking at here? A maximum fine for all those folks of up to $7,500 each per person. And that shows you that it ain't over. Still not over. Tomorrow night, I think we're going to make it happen this time. Sean Buckley from the National Citizens Inquiry will be here. Spoke to him again today. We keep getting the wires crossed. Uh, but I think this time it's going to come together and we will be able to uh, to do that interview with Sean Buckley and get his insight into the final report from the National Citizens Inquiry into the government response to the pandemic. And maybe we'll ask him about what happened right there, too, in Saskatchewan with that court ruling. And this just underlines the importance of the NCI and other efforts that are ongoing out there to push back against the lawfare that is being used even now against Canadian citizens in this Trudeau era. <laughs> Exile The Knights of Malta Maverick News Join us. The world is watching. And if you donated over the last few days and you're and you're one of the people who asked for a exile the knights of malta t-shirt or long sleeve tee or sweatshirt they went out so now it's up to canada post they should be arriving 
in a year or two. <laughs> Based on the way Canada Post works. No, actually, they should be there pretty soon. Canada Post isn't that bad. We had to send them, of course, the most economical way. Hopefully they get there in days and not weeks. But they went out this week. So just letting everyone know. I do have a few of the Exile, the Knights of Malta shirts left. If you would like one, um, I will give, give you one for free if you donate $30 or more for a T-shirt. Uh, 35 or more for a long sleeve tee and 45 or more in a donation. And I will send you out a sweatshirt. Exile the Knights of Malta. Um, we have the classic Maverick News shirts as well. Um, so same deal on those. And we've also got hoodies uh, coming in for the, uh, for the Maverick News shirts. So those will be available as well. Um, and yeah, you can support the show by donating at maverickdonations.com, maverickdonations.com, or at freedomreporters.com. Now, if you donate at freedomreporters.com, you can, and you need to send me a note about the shirts or anything else, you can always put a note in the box when you make the donation. You can also email me directly um, here at maverickmultimedia at mail.com. So you can always send me a message there. Or you can just go to the website at mavericknews.ca and contact us right there as well. There's a contact form right on the website. You can watch old uh, you know, archived episodes of the show there, get other information and the website will be expanding over time as time permits. This is more than a full-time job, just doing this broadcast every night. And there's other work to be done around here too. So as time permits, I will make improvements, more improvements to the website, but there you can contact us there um, and donate at those, those URLs. And you can secure your Exile the Knights of Malta t-shirt or classic Maverick News t-shirts as well. Um, also, you can support us by liking, sharing, subscribing on all the social media platforms. And please consider subscribing over on Rumble. That's the super important one because they ain't going to ban us or shadow ban us the way that we're being shadow banned and outright banned on the other platforms. So we appreciate all of that. Appreciate all of you. Appreciate the support. And uh, we've got a lot more work to do, obviously, because there's still coming down hard on freedom fighters who are out there fighting for freedom during the height of the pandemic, which is honestly what really motivated me to get this channel going again. So uh, out of retirement, here I am with you every night, putting it on the line, just like you, all together, fighting to restore our liberty and our freedom. The New World Order. Government Overreach. The Great Reset. Mainstream media lies. Now more than ever, independent voices are needed. Donate now at 
FreedomReporters.com. That's FreedomReporters.com. Maverick News. The Antivirus Program. For your mind. Okay, so what else do we have for you tonight? Uh, what can we get into before we get into our feature interview with Kevin Michalizzi? Ah, uh, yes. Let's get into this uh, sex scandal stuff. A high-ranking executive in Saskatchewan's Ministry of Education has resigned. following a podcast that was online alleging he engaged in what is being called inappropriate behavior. So back in August of 2022, the Saskatchewan government appointed um, Michael Walter to oversee Legacy Christian Academy, a private Christian school, which is at the center of a class action lawsuit filed by former students claiming abuse by staff. Now, of course, these allegations have not been proven in court. So it has to go through that process before we can assume guilt, or not even assume, but before we can make any definitive accusations. We're just saying that these are allegations at this point. But the, uh, these former legacy students, Caitlin Erickson and Jennifer Beaudry, went through their personal experiences as they recalled them and outlined them in this podcast and mentioned Walter, I guess, by name. It's called Legacy of Abuse Podcast. So on the podcast which shares former student stories. Uh, they describe Walter's behavior as gross and inappropriate. Um, if found guilty, that's one thing. If he's found innocent and they've been online communicating this kind of information, I would say that could be dangerous in itself. I would never advise anyone to publicly go out and make those kinds of accusations on social media um, in that way. Lee, just from a legal point of view, it isn't wise, but that's what they've done. Uh, you know, if you've got, I'm not a lawyer, but I think you're going to start to see more and more lawsuits related to defamation, slander, libel coming out of social media um, posts like that one, serious stuff. If allegations are not proven in court, it leaves you wide open to countersuits later. But he has resigned from his position and he was a long time education worker. And this will now have to play out in the courts 33 years, that's how long Walter was involved in the education system. And I can't sit here and say anything definitively because, again, these things 
was played. He did not get a day in court, ultimately. Jeffrey Epstein. Because uh, he's supposed to be dead. Ended up in jail, as we know. And they are getting ready to apparently very soon release the passenger lift list from Epstein's Lolita Express jet. And I guess all but three names, which were sealed, um, are going to be released. Three of the people whose names are not going to be released, apparently, according to the authorities, are sort of peripheral players who really, the evidence shows, according to investigators, I guess, that they had no real role to play in any of the uh, uh, illegal activities that had been taking place on Epstein Island. And it looks like uh, Epstein did a very good job over the years of protecting himself and using the law to shield himself against prosecution. This is an interview by investigators back in 2012, this video making the rounds. And here he is um, refusing to answer just about every question they put to him. Would you raise your hand, please? Did you solemnly swear the testimony you're about to give in the matter not pending should be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, ma'am. Would you please state your full name? I'm Jeffrey Edward Epstein, and my residence address is 6100 Red Hook Boulevard in Virgin Islands. Do you maintain any other residences presently? I have vacation homes in New Mexico, uh, Palm Beach, New York, and Paris. Have you ever been convicted of a crime? Yes. What was the crime of which you were convicted? Two uh, counts. One, soliciting prostitution and procuring a minor for prostitution. Do you, in fact, commit those acts? I'm going to invoke my Fifth Amendment right. How many times have you solicited a minor for prostitution? Same answer. How many times have you solicited a minor for prostitution in the state of Florida? Same answer. Have you ever solicited a minor for prostitution in the Virgin Islands? Same answer. That is, the you are invoking your Fifth Amendment? Yes, right. Yes, Mr. Spill. Have you ever solicited for prostitution in New York? Same answer. Have you ever solicited, solicited for prostitution in New Mexico? Same answer. Have you ever solicited for prostitution in Paris? Same answer. Have you ever solicited a minor for prostitution anywhere at any time? Again, I'm going to assert my right. Did you ever? We're going to go off right. So you are terminating the deposition at this time. Recess the deposition. I'll be right back.
Maverick News. The world is watching. is watching indeed it is and the world is also watching the situation in ukraine and in gaza where the death tolls continue to climb Coming up shortly, Kevin Michalizzi will join us from Crimea and update us on what's going on with this escalation in drone attacks. I say, you know, it's the rise of the drones. It is that era. Um, We've seen, especially in Ukraine, how the use of drones has changed the way wars are fought today. Canada investing $2.49 billion in those 11 MQ-9 Reaper drones. They're not supposed to take delivery until 2028. You know, I, uh, I was looking into these drones. It's so typically Canadian to embark on these kinds of projects, ventures, investments in the way that they do. They've been around for a while. And one of the things I took note of immediately is that these drones are supposed to be, they're planning to use them for at least the next 15 years. It's 2023. Canada won't even take delivery of these things until 2028. Now, when these Reaper drones came out, They were looking, the United States was looking at using them for about a 15-year period, is what I've I've read and what I've seen um, when I've been looking into it a little bit more. You know, so right off the bat, Canada, because we always come along later, we'll lose uh, at least, what, four years, say, or more, or five years, probably, of operational use of these 11 drones. These are not kamikaze drones. These are drones that are flown by a team of people with a pilot sitting, could be just sitting in Canada 
in a trailer or maybe an office someplace in Ottawa while the drone is flown halfway around the world someplace. That's the way they work. And they are large-sized drones. They can carry a huge payload. And I thought, with that kind of money being invested, you might want to see what these drones are all about. They are being manufactured by General Atomics Aeronautical Systems. So they're unmanned. And they, of course, they're like a high-flying, unmanned aerial platform for reconnaissance and combat. Turboprop aircraft. Pretty versatile, I guess, for a lot of different applications. And I've got a video queued up here explaining what the difference between this new Reaper drone is compared to the previous, I think it's the previous Predator drone from the same company. Very similar, different features, one newer than the other. And uh, got this ready to rock and roll for you here now. Let's let's find out more about these things, shall we, together? The MQ-1B Predator, MQ-1C Gray Eagle, and MQ-9 Reaper aka Predator B are unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, manufactured by General Atomics Aeronautical Systems, GAASI. Operated by controllers often sitting halfway around the world in dark trailers, the Predator is the platform that ushered in the new era of unmanned precision attacks. The aircraft can be transported on board a Lockheed Martin C-130 Hercules or larger military transport aircraft. In the following, we will also list the differences between the Predator and Reaper. The MQ-1B Predator, retired by U.S. Air Force on March 9, 2018, is used for close air support, air interdiction, and intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance ISR, missions and is powered by a single Rotax 914F four-cylinder aviation fuel piston engine engine with 115 horsepower. It provides armed reconnaissance, airborne surveillance, and target acquisition for the U.S. Air Force. The Predator has a wingspan of 55 feet, is 27 feet long, 6.9 feet high and carries a payload of up to 450 pounds and has a maximum speed of 135 miles per hour, 217 kilometers per hour. The MQ-1B Predator is equipped with the Raytheon and or AAS-52 Multispectral Targeting System, MTSA, which includes electro-optical or infrared, EO or IR, video cameras and laser designators. The MQ-1B carries up to two AGM-114 Hellfire missiles. In March 2011, the USAF received the last of a total of 268 Predators and focus shifted to sustainment. In August 2011, the Predator reached the 1 million flight hour mark. The Air Force gradually phased out the Predator fleet, instead purchasing newer and larger MQ-9 Reapers to replace them. The MQ-1C Gray Eagle is powered by a single feeler 2.0L heavy fuel piston engine with 165 horsepower and provides an unmanned long endurance and persistent ISR and tactical strike capability. The MQ-1C performs the following missions, reconnaissance, surveillance, target acquisition, RSTA, command and control, communications relay, signals intelligence, SIGINT, battle damage assessment, and manned-unmanned teaming capability.
The gray eagle has a wingspan of 56 feet, is 28 feet long, and carries a payload of up to 1,075 pounds. The gray eagle is equipped with the Raytheon and or AAS-53 Common Sensor Payload, CSP, which includes electro-optical or infrared, EO or IR, video cameras and laser designators. The MQ-1C also features a synthetic aperture radar, SAR, communications relay, and carries up to four AGM-114 Hellfire missiles. The MQ-9 Reaper is powered by a Honeywell TPE-331-10GD turboprop engine with 900 shop. The Reaper is a multi-mission ISR and strike UAV or UAS and is significantly larger than the Predator and Grey Eagle. Also, it features a more powerful engine and carries a much greater payload. The MQ-9 has a wingspan of 66 feet, is 36 feet long, 12.5 feet high, and carries a payload of up to 3,850 pounds and flies at speeds of up to 276 miles per hour, 444 kilometers per hour. The aircraft is equipped with the Raytheon and or DAS-1 Multispectral Targeting System, MTSB, which has a suite of visual sensors for targeting. The MTSB integrates an infrared sensor, a color or monochrome daylight TV camera, an image-intensified TV camera, a laser designator, and a laser illuminator. Also, the Reaper features the Lynx Multimode Radar, from General Atomics, a Multimode Maritime Surveillance Radar, a SIGINT or Electronic Support Measures, ESM, system, and a Communications Relay. The MQ-9 carries up to four AGM-114 Hellfire missiles and can also carry Paveway-2 laser-guided bombs and Joint Direct Attack Munitions, JDAM. For more information about the types of ordnance carried by the MQ-9, please see Armament-slash-Weapons section below. On February 20, 2015, the Reaper reached the 1 million flight hour mark having flown 78,606 sorties since its maiden flight on February 2, 2001. The MQ-9 Reaper Extended Range ER, is a new variant that comes with additional internal fuel capacity, a new reinforced landing gear, extended wings, increased wingspan of 79 feet, and extended tail control surfaces. The Air Force currently plans to purchase Extended Range ER, upgrade kits for nearly the entire fleet of MQ-9s. Will not undergo the ER upgrade. The Reaper ER has an endurance of up to 42 hours, flying without external stores. On February 18, 2016, the Reaper ER made its first flight at GAASI's Grey Butte Flight Test Facility in Palmdale, California. The main difference between the MQ-1 Predator and MQ-9 Reaper is the size, mission, payload, speed and range, see specs at the end of this page. The Reaper is mainly used as an attack UAV, hunter-killer, and thus carries significantly more ordnance, see armament info below. The Predator's primary role is ISR. Armament or Weapons The MQ-1 Predator can be equipped with two AGM-114 Hellfire missiles, while the MQ-1C Grey Eagle carries twice that amount. The MQ-9 Reaper carries a broader range of ordnance and can be equipped with up to four Hellfire missiles plus two GBU-12 Paveway-2 laser-guided bombs or two 500-pound GBU-38 Joint Direct Attack Munitions, JDAM. On the Reaper, Hellfire missiles are carried on Stations 2 and 6, Middle Wing Stations. Stations 3 and 5 can only carry bombs, 
while Stations 2 and 6 can carry either bombs or the M299P launcher with missiles. In the future, the MQ-1C and MQ-9 will carry the new Joint Air-to-Ground Missile, JAGM, which replaces the Hellfire missile. On May 25, 2016, an MQ-1C engaged and destroyed a moving ground target in the first-ever JAGM test firing from a UAV. Mission or Role the MQ-1 Predator provides the U.S. Air Force with an over-the-horizon, OTH, long-endurance, medium-altitude intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, ISR, and weapons delivery capability. MQ-1C Gray Eagle provides the U.S. Army with a long-endurance, persistent ISR and tactical strike capability. The Gray Eagle also serves as a communications relay. The MQ-9 Reaper performs multi-mission ISR and hunter-killer missions over land and sea in support of U.S. Air Force operations. Well... I hope they use it for peacekeeping and... not for aggressive war. Israel is saying that uh, they have killed a prominent Hamas financier who had provided tens of millions of dollars in funding to Hamas. This guy's name is Subhai Farwana. And he was killed, I guess, in a fighter by a fighter jet in an airstrike in Rafa. We say that uh, the Hamas military wing, in the words of the uh, Israeli military, depends on the money transferred to them by financiers. And without the flow of cash, the capabilities of Hamas are severely diminished. So that happened. And the death toll, as I say, continues to rise. And uh, that's in both Gaza and in Ukraine, where we're now being told, at least by Western media, that mouse fever is making Russian troops very sick. It's, a, I guess, some sort of a serious illness. But as I read the reports of this spread of the mouse fever, the information just didn't seem entirely credible to me. It's it. Uh, I can't say one way or the other for sure, but the information just doesn't seem genuine. It feels like propaganda. It reads like propaganda. You can make your own assessment. That's just my reaction to it because the style is propagandistic.
Mouse fever outbreak leaves Putin's troops with vomiting and severe headache, says Ukraine. This is the version of the story from The Independent. Says Vladimir Putin's soldiers in eastern Ukraine's Kupiansk are reportedly falling sick because of a mouse fever outbreak. This is a viral disease that has left the Russian troops severely unwell, it says. And I guess you contract mouse fever because you are exposed to mouse droppings. You get a severe fever with it. You feel like flu. You got the flu. I guess if you're not diagnosed right away, it can get worse. And because it mimics the flu in the beginning, often people being diagnosed is delayed. They're also what also made me is making me wonder of how authentic this story is. Is the way that they say the disease is affecting the troops severely because they're stressed out physically, because they're not properly equipped, they don't have proper clothing and winter gear, the weather is getting cold, and they also are not being given proper medical care, which would suggest that Russia is on the losing side of things right now, that they're having trouble getting resources to the troops. And from all the evidence I'm seeing, the opposite is actually true. What we are seeing is funding is beginning to dry up uh, from the West. The United States is has made it clear, Joe Biden made it clear when he stood there and did that joint news conference about a week ago now with Vladimir Zelensky that uh, the United States was at the end of the line on funding. Then turned around and said, but we're going to stick with Ukraine no matter what. Well, I don't know how you can say he's obviously talking out of both sides of his mouth at the same time because you can't support a country in a war effort no matter what on one hand and cut the funding on the other side. And that is exactly what Joe Biden did during that news conference. He promised to stick by Ukraine's side while at the exact same time literally saying that the money at the gravy train had come to an end. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, Kevin Michalitzi will join us, and he will talk to us about mouse fever. He will also talk to us direct from Crimea about what he has been observing there in terms of drone strikes and what he has been able to learn. He has sources um, that keep him pretty well informed on what's going on in terms of that military conflict in Ukraine. So you're going to get some information here that you are just not going to get anywhere else. And also, within the last 24 hours, we've seen um, a huge reports of a huge drone attack by Russia on Ukraine in Kiev. Appro approximately... 35 drones were sent in. 
Ukrainian forces say they shot down 34 of them. Only they, they say only one got through. Again, it's war. The first casualty of war is truth. So that's just what they're reporting. How can I verify? I can't. But what I can do is give you Kevin Michalizzi on the other side of this. Maverick News. The world is watching. Kevin, welcome back to the program. Great to have you here. Well, thanks, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be here. So a lot has been happening um, with this <laughs> uh, special military operation in Ukraine. We're not really hearing much about it in the mainstream media or any media really over here. It seems like uh, that whole conflict is now passe. People just don't want to hear about it, or at least the media doesn't seem to uh, to want to tell us much about what's going on. But we have seen some pretty serious developments over the, the past couple of weeks. When you were last on, Ukraine had launched uh, a series of drone attacks. Where are we at with that? Has that continued? Well, you know, it actually stopped after that, after uh, all the drones they shot. It was like six uh, Storm Shadow missiles all shot down. Uh, Russia hit Kiev, Dnipropetrovsk, uh, Ukrainian Kherson, and Odessa with massive drone strikes and uh, missile strikes. Took out a lot of military infrastructure. And it got quiet until 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Ukraine shot one uh, U.S. Attackums long-range missile at the Crimean Bridge, and it was shot down uh, right up about here over the Azov Sea. And uh, that's all that's happened in the last week. Uh, my sources say that uh, they believe Ukraine is waiting until the new year. Uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day to maybe launch another massive attack. They're kind of 
gathering what they have left and trying to get some things from the West and, and make another big attack. And what's your assessment of that? Is that a, uh, uh, you know, we've had a discussion about this and I guess it's your belief and what you're being told that that might be sort of a PR strategy as well, because Zelensky needs a win. He needs to show some forward momentum in order to secure ongoing funding from the United States and the EU. Where, where do things sit with that? Well, you know, the EU has uh, put together a large package of aid. I don't remember exactly what it was. I saw this a couple days ago, something like $50 billion equivalent, but they've made it contingent on the U.S. approving their $68 billion package, which, as you know, is held up in the Republican House right now, um, you know. The Republicans are saying, well, if we get our border money to protect us from Mexico, um, you know, then we'll think about approving it. So um, I don't know. I I have doubts that the U.S. will actually approve more aid. I don't think the Republicans are going to do that. Going into an election year, people are tired of seeing their money spent to support not only Ukraine, but um, Israel as well. And, uh, I think it's, you know, pretty much over as far as big packages of aid. So a lot of these attacks might be acts of hopeful self-preservation on the part of uh, Mr. Zelensky, who may actually find himself in a bit of trouble if he's not successful with his military efforts. Yeah, well, you know, his uh, his commander-in-chief, uh, this always throws me because, of course, in the U.S. and in Russia, the commander-in-chief of the armed forces is the president. But um, apparently in Ukraine, it's not. He actually has a commander-in-chief, and uh, he found bugs in his office. And, of course, he's blaming Zelensky for bugging his office. So they've got political things going on there as well. Um, Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev, is uh, running his mouth. He isn't supportive of uh, the continued fighting anymore. So I, I think things are just unraveling for Zelensky. There are other signs that things may be unraveling, and I don't know if you've seen this, so I'll just comment on it. There was video of a Ukrainian soldier walking into a Ukrainian town council meeting. I believe it was in Kiev. And then he stood there up. and yeah. yeah, and he, and he just lobbed a couple of grenades in front of himself with, with the, the, the room full of other people and they, they detonated. It was horrifying to see it, but also yeah. I think uh, an example of how everything is beginning to fall apart over there. Well, the third one went off, he was holding it and he killed himself. Yeah. So, uh, not looking good on that front. And we've also got uh, the public relations war raging. I'm seeing, as I say, very little in the way of, of media reports overall, but there have been reports of mouse fever devastating <laughs> Russian troops. That didn't seem to, didn't have the ring of truth to it for me. There may be some mouse fever, but on the scale that it's being reported i i just can't see it what what what's your assessment 
you know, it, pure propaganda. Um, I know a lot of guys that are fighting up on the front. I talk to them regularly. Um, you know, Texas Donbass Bentley is up in uh, Donbass. We know people um, up and down the line, and no reports whatsoever. Yeah, it, because that illness, you have to be exposed essentially to mouse droppings. Um, it's bacteria. I just can't see something like that spreading really widely, quickly, unless it gets into the food supply someplace. But it just didn't seem like a, a very, very credible information. And yet it's beginning to find its way out into the media today. Well, especially this time of year, it's cold up there. Um, there's snow on the ground, um, you know, below zero temperatures. So I... I don't buy that at all. And that's what the media reports were saying as well. It was like the other reason it's spreading is because the Russian troops have not been properly equipped with winter gear <laughs> and they're not getting any medical attention, which also just the wording of it seemed a little hard to, to believe. You know, I, I know the guys are well equipped and um, Russia is not skimping on what they're giving them. Uh, even locally here, we have women who are uh, sewing, you know, uh, camouflage nets and coats and scarves. And uh, the, the guys are not wanting for winter equipment here. You know, for me, what I see when I see these guys out there is, you know, remember growing up seeing the old Soviet movies, the guys in the white snowsuits and snowshoes. This is really kind of what it's like. Putin had that year-end news conference. Where he, he spent, it was almost three hours where he sat yep. there and just answered questions <clears throat> from people. I watched a lot of that, and I, man, I'll tell you, it was it was pretty impressive. He's uh, He is a strong leader. And he seems supremely confident in where he's at with all of this. And he does not get those questions in advance and he's answering them off the top of his head. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. Every year, once a year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he questions about the economy, um, culture, borders, immigration. He was, you know, as he went down all these issues, most of the issues are the same kinds of issues we're facing here in North sure. America. And, and the answers he's giving are the answers I wish our leaders were giving over here. It was like, yeah, uh, strong borders, you know, controlled immigration, um, maintain your national uh, identity. And, and he's also talking about energy, which I think is a key thing because he spoke about natural gas and oil. It's still flowing. Russia is still in a very strong position economically because of that. But over here, that no wonder the money is drying up. We don't have a good yeah. energy policy here in North America. What? Just give me your thoughts. Yeah, you know, um, all these sanctions have been great for the Russian economy. Um, we had a little bit of inflation this year, four, four and a half percent. Crimea was a little bit higher, but they've uh, taken steps at the federal level to uh, bring it back down the first of the year to that same four to four and a half percent. The GDP is growing here, five, six percent. And, uh, 
you know, if this is what, you know, they, they talk about authoritarian leadership. If this is what authoritarian leadership is, I'm all for it. Um, the guy is for his people. He takes care of the people. He's raised uh, pensions and social payments to people starting the first of the year. Uh, disabled people get a raise. Um, they're giving uh, a free house to any woman who has three children by her husband. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, and they make payments to these women for every uh, child they, they produce. Uh, but they control it. It isn't, you know, here's some money and you can go buy a car or drugs or alcohol. They put the money into an account. And if you buy something for your child, clothing, um, even a house, if you put that money towards it for the child to live in, then you take the receipts to the government and they give you the money then. So, you know, everything here has the social programs are controlled so the money isn't wasted. People can't take advantage of it. Now, when you say that people here might instantly have alarm bells go off because you'll hear social credit score, social credit program. Um, how widespread or how integrated is that into the economy there? Is that targeted specifically just at the social programs? That doesn't extend out into the rest of the economy where people are working, getting a paycheck. They still have the freedom, I assume, to go out and make purchases freely. Yeah, they can make purchases freely. And in fact, they raise the minimum wage. So, um, you know, they just take care of their people. They've eliminated uh, pensioners paying commissions if they need social services, you know, if they need a taxi ride or um, they, you know, they go looking for a house. They're now exempt from all the uh, commissions that people charge. Mm -hmm. Just to bring it back again to these drone attacks, there was also yep. a report just overnight that Russia had launched a massive drone attack um, against Ukraine. I believe some of those drones were directed at Kiev. The Ukrainian mm -hmm. forces are saying they shot down 34 out of 35 of them. Um, are, have you heard anything about that yourself? Or do you have any information that you can add? You know, um, anytime you hear the Ukrainian media say that they sh shot down much of anything, um, you know, we have a joke here. Um, you know, we shoot six missiles and they shoot, uh, you know, eight of them down. And, uh, but I have a relative who lives in Dnipropetrovsk and there were drones and missile strikes on Dnipro this past week and they hit military targets. Um, you know, they may be shooting them down, but they're shooting them down by having the missiles hit their air defenses and their uh, ammunition supplies. Right. So they struck uh, Kiev, Dnipropetrovsk, Odessa, Ukrainian Kherson, and uh, Kharkiv. When Putin was answering all those questions in his year-end um, interview and news conference, he made reference to what was going on in Gaza. And, he's, and he specifically said, you know, the kind of atrocities that you're seeing 
in Gaza, you're not seeing in Ukraine. And can you can you speak yes. to the targeted nature of uh, what the Russian forces are doing? Yeah, you know, I hear a lot of feedback out of the West of why doesn't Putin just go in and uh, wipe out the Ukrainian forces like the United States would do? And he's been very specific from the beginning of the special military operation of the military is to be conscious of the infrastructure and the civilians. So they go very slowly. They're very careful not to hit um, civilian uh, infrastructure. Um, no, unfortunately, it's war. Some civilians get killed, you know, in Ukraine as well. But they minimize that. They, you know, they're doing this house-to-house, street-by-street fighting specifically to avoid those sorts of things. And is what we're seeing is every time the Ukrainians think that Russia is going to make an offensive attack, they're evacuating citizens anyway at this point. Now, a lot they started out originally where they would go into a hospital and move the patients onto a floor and hide behind them. And, you know, or apartment buildings, they'd put the people down in the basement, lock them in, and then they'd shoot from the apartment buildings. And then, of course, Russia strikes that building and, you know, some civilians get injured. And, uh, you know, but Russia's being very conscious of that. Mm -hmm. So this is the kind of war where I think when either side goes on the offensive, they really put their soldiers at extreme risk it's the 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 advancing forces yeah. that are most exposed um yeah. and that's when they kind of get thrown into a meat grinder either way so is putin's strategy here also one of caution so that he can preserve and protect and minimize losses on his side yeah uh, you know the military losses as well there's very few losses compared to what ukraine's experiencing yeah i mean it's still an eight to one ten to one ratio and when we talk about losses we're also talking about technology and drones and the capabilities to attack with them and defend against them and i guess mm -hmm. you have had the opportunity to see some of the technology and hardware up close that russia is using to defend against drone attacks Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, with the couple of strikes on the Crimean Bridge and the couple of attempted strikes on the Black Sea Fleet, is what they've done is they've rolled out a bunch of uh, technology to prevent attacks. <coughs> um, one of the things that we see around here often is if you go to Sevastopol, the GPS systems in your phone and your car will go out totally. Um, they just do not work. Uh, you go to Simferopol, the capital of Crimea. Again, your GPS does not work. The satellites are out or they jam them and all of a sudden you're driving down the road and you look in your map, you're 
20 kilometers away, 10 miles away in the middle of a field on your map. So uh, GPS is useless uh, in the major areas here. When we go across the bridge right now, all the GPS goes out about 10 miles on either side of the bridge. And there's just no navigation. So uh, that's one thing. Now on the bridge, they've sunk some ships uh, by the mouth of the bridge. So it's a very narrow passage now that anything can go through to get to the bridge. And this is to prevent um, attacks by the sea-based drones. And then they have uh, sea netting as well. They have uh, catch traps. And uh, when you're going over the bridge, it's actually real impressive because you can see these things. They're great big concrete, I don't know, almost like giant concrete anchors that they've dropped in there. And uh, it blocks the pilings of the bridges and uh, to prevent sky-based drone attacks. They have an awful lot of radar systems out there. They have uh, surface-to-air missiles and they have this really cool uh, smoke truck. It's called a TD-3A and uh, this is the beast right here. This truck they can put various things in it, but as what they've loaded it with is uh, chemicals to make a smoke that has a metal flake in it. And this thing, it uses actually a MiG-13 jet engine to push this smoke out of it. And it holds, uh, it has one 2,500 liter tank and a 900 liter tank for the chemicals. And this thing can pump out uh, this smoke for a kilometer in range in about 90 seconds. This thing takes five minutes to deploy and 90 seconds to fire the system up. And it can put out a one kilometer long stretch of smoke. And, uh, you know, they cover the bridge. They cover Sevastopol Bay with total fog whenever they detect that there's incoming missiles or drones. Now, I've seen some analysts in the West say, well, yeah, you know, it, it won't work against infrared. The metal flake uh, reflects the infrared. So you can't visually see anything and you can't see it through the infrared. And, and I guess that's the strategy because the, they have guys flying these drones who are wearing those first person view goggles, right? Virtual yeah. reality goggles. And they're flying like this and looking where they're going. Yeah. Now, granted, you could have coordinates of where, like, the bridge is, but if the GPS isn't working, you can't fly by the coordinates either. So I saw a UK analyst say, well, yeah, but, um, you know, they have thermal heads on them and they can, you know, detect like the cars going across. The chemicals they're mixing in this beast, um, prevent those attacks as well. So basically the drones and the missiles are blind. So, so it's pretty cool. So you combine that with, well, how do they, how do they target the, the drones to take them down? If there's no GPS, do you have any idea how those systems work? Is it like you no, know, they're, they're taking most of them out way up 
over in here that that are towards the bridge so they're quite a, they've got equipment up over in here and up in this you know these strips up in here uh up in here and uh so they're catching them long before they ever get to the bay or the bridge now if they get near the bridge i can't talk too much about what they've got there but they're using a variety of different radar systems so they can still see the drones in the sky and they're catching them early enough out there that they can deploy these trucks they can get the smoke going on the bridge and cover that entire bridge or cover the entire uh, Sevastopol Bay before they ever get near. Yeah. But even over by Sevastopol, uh, eh, over here, um, you know, they're shooting them down way out here in the Black Sea. Yeah, the, uh, the, the those are some of the other reports we're seeing here in, in the West is that Ukraine has these this jamming technology that they're using to... Um, take down russian drones but it they're not talking at all about the smoke screens or just you know taking down the gps or any of what you just mentioned in any of the reports that i've heard it doesn't seem to me like ukraine has the upper hand on the drones i don't think they do you know they may have some electronic warfare systems i'm sure the west has them they've probably given them some but you know, we we talk about here of, you know, what do we have the other day when I was talking to you, 30-some drones as a massive attack. But, you know, every drone attack from Russia on Ukraine is 50, 75, 100 drones. And this can go on for three, four days. They have no shortage of drones. We're in full production in Russia. Military equipment is coming off the line missiles tanks um you know we've got a surplus of equipment at this point so you know we we can throw like i say 50 to 100 drones for every 20 or 30 that they're throwing this way or more drone warfare this is the uh this has changed warfare it's already happening and it is clearly the 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 trend moving forward into the future we're, we've seen just this week the canadian military is spending billions of dollars 2.5 billion small military budget here <laughs> to to acquire a few um drones but not the kinds of drones that we're talking about here those are suicide drones that fly in and um perform kamikaze missions where they self-destruct and blow up crash into their targets we're talking about in canada these larger um turboprop like surveillance ones yeah yeah surveillance ones these ones carry weapons payloads they can stay up in in the air for like 28 hours they're uh, flown from remote locations in this mm -hmm. case probably from ottawa they'll have pilots in a room flying these things around the united states has been using them for years i'm sure russia has them as well um it, it, where where do you see warfare like this going and how extensive is this because i think in people's minds because we have so many hollywood movies people don't have an accurate picture of what warfare today is really like there i think people still think it's like uh, like it was 
more back in World War II with tanks and guys running around with machine guns and saving Private Ryan style warfare. Yeah, you know, on the front lines, you know, there's multiple lines of defense, whether you're on offense or defense. And the guys on the front are shooting bullets house to house. Um, they're covered by artillery, all, you know, a little further back. So there's still a lot of that going on. Um, I rarely hear of tank battles. I see a lot of tanks going to Ukraine. But, you know, what they're doing with them, I'm not really sure. Um, but the drone warfare and... You know, even though Ukraine may have some of these, uh, you know, these uh, electronic warfare systems to bring drones down, it's a technique that Russia can afford to do because they have the drones and the missiles. They send this swarm of geranium drones, and they're kind of a small to mid-sized drone. They'll send this whole swarm in, and they watch for where the systems are that are taking them down, whether it's air defense, the electronic warfare. And then what follows that when they've detected that is a Kinjal missile that takes it out. So Russia takes them out as quickly as they can use them. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of warfare that's going on. Now, Ukraine, you know, they send a bunch of drones or they send a few missiles. Sometimes they send drones and missiles, like last week, 30 drones, six missiles. Um, and it's, you know, they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to find out where Russia has their air defense systems. And they're all on trucks. So they move constantly. And, uh, you know, they just aren't as adept at detecting them because they don't have the supply that Russia has. And tank warfare, you mentioned tanks, that kind of warfare is not as effective as it used to be because you, you have this really expensive tank, this huge piece of military hardware rolling across the, the country, the landscape down a road or whatever. And then a, a drone worth maybe even a few thousand dollars can come in and take out that tank drop a grenade down the hatch yeah yeah um, i've actually seen ukraine using commercial drones i mean like you know go to best buy and buy yourself a drone drone yeah and they tie a hand grenade to it and they'll fly it over it and you know tilt the camera tilt on it and the grenade drops and changing the uh, the nature of warfare for sure and we we did a couple of shows this past week about artificial intelligence and that's destined to change things too i mean i i didn't prime you for any kind of comment on ai but i've been um fascinated with what's happening on that front watching a lot of videos and reading a lot about it in the past week that actually scares the living daylights out of me because pretty soon these drones will actually be automated and we'll be making decisions um, even on kills uh, in the field. So um, that's probably going to yeah. happen sooner rather than later, too. And there's some of that going on right now. Um, you know, they can program these drones, go here, do this. And they have the cameras. If they see a certain thing, they can divert to other locations and stuff. Um, I'm actually doing a series on AI for uh, one of my channels. Um, 
probably won't get it released until, oh, late January or February. But I think a lot of the hype about AI taking over the world and killing all the humans is science fiction at this point. Um, I am doing a lot of research on it. I've got a little background in the AI as well. Um, but, uh, you know, there's targeted AI right now. But what people have to remember is what you get out of like chat GPT is it's a large language model and it's only feeding you back what it knows. It isn't at this point thinking, it doesn't have the emotion or the biological connection that, you know, you think about it. When we make decisions, it isn't all what we see. It's also what we hear, what we feel. Um, you know, so it's got a long ways to go. Yeah, there is still a, a big disconnect there. I've seen this this guy, Mo Gadot. He's an ex-Google AI developer. The head of their, one of their AI departments was. Doesn't work yeah. there anymore, but he wrote some, some books, or a book anyway. And he's been doing the podcast circuit. And his... The way he speaks is alarming because he refers to AI as they, as though it is alive. It's a new life form. That's really what he's leading people to believe. Your view on that? And we we had a we did another show on this with with Brendan, and we had um, Jeff Evely from Veterans for Freedom on. And you know, Jeff says you know, and oh, and we had um, Ian Nunn on too. He yeah. th their assessment is it's not alive. It's um, and and this sounds like maybe it's a lot of hype from Mr. Gadot, maybe to sell more yeah. books. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I I fall more along the lines of Andrew Nig from Stanford. He's into AI as well, very deeply, and uh, you know, he's got the same attitude. It's not alive, and most AI is pretty focused. Uh, when you think about chat GPT, everyone, that's where they go. Um, when they say, look what it can do, it can write a computer program. It'll put programmers out of business. Mm -hmm. Eventually, yeah, it probably will. But again, it's only spitting back what this large language model it has in it. It searches through this entire database and spits stuff out. Um, you know, it's kind of at the you know, the trained monkey stage, you know, put a hundred monkeys in a room and one of them is going to produce a novel. Uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're real good at what they're meant to do. You know, your car, if you have an AI uh, driving car, it's good at driving, but it's certainly not going to take your job from you. I don't know. Um, not yet. I not do yet. see it being, I do see it being very disruptive, uh, to the economy in, you know, the, um, the years ahead and probably I, sooner I rather than later. Be. Um, but I, I, that doesn't scare me because as people are displaced from their jobs, I, I see AI increasing efficiencies, increasing productivity, uh, raising the standard of living for all people by, decreasing the price of all kinds of different goods and services that 
we need to survive and prosper. And then people will move on and do other kinds of work that maybe will be more value added. Um, just the way the assembly line did when they made automobiles more affordable for people. Yeah. I mean, when they automated assembly lines, it put some people out of business, put some people out of work, but um, they went on and did other things. You know, it's not going to eliminate a lot of the creative uh, jobs. You're not going to see AI doing the news. You know, I, an AI robot isn't going to take over your position at Maverick News. Um, Actually, know, there it, are some, well, yes and no. It's what I do see already happening is aggregated news sites where yeah. AI is being used to basically skim off stories and then spin the scripts so that they're written differently. And then it spits it back out into an aggregated news site, which is in itself disruptive because it's going to make it more difficult to make a living as a journalist. You're only going to probably end up with some of the top journalists surviving because they'll be the, the primary producers. But even then, yeah. you know, I think we're getting into copyright issues um, and we're getting a little off topic here. Talking about AI now because it's such an interesting subject, but yeah, I mean, but copyright but about, itself is an issue. Yeah, but think about the AI aggregating. It has to have something to aggregate. Somebody's got to write right. that. Right. So, you know, yes, it will change the face of journalism, but it isn't going to totally eliminate journalists. Yeah. And you won't get the kind of discussion we're having with an AI bot. Yeah, you probably get something a lot more intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe better looking, too. <laughs> yes, that's true. That is absolutely true. In yeah. fact, I saw an AI-generated image of uh, Donald Trump morphed into Abraham Lincoln overnight. And I thought, well, you see, there you go. That conspiracy theory about Abe Lincoln still being alive. Now it's conspiracy reality, yeah. right? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you, do you have some other videos? I think maybe you have some other videos or images lined up of, um, yeah, some of this can, technology being used. I can show you some of this technology. Um, this is actually here in Crimea. So what we've got here is we've got the uh, TD-3A putting out smoke. We've got uh, a missile system in the background, number 20 back there. Um, Number two is the smoke generator. And somewhere in this cloud of smoke, you've got radar systems, you've got other missile systems. So, um, you know, this is actually at working here in Crimea. And uh, this was, I'll take the sound down on this. I'm not going to uh, translate it for you. It's basically, um, the system working over the bridge and you can see the trucks going along the bridge and putting out this smoke so this is the way it, it starts to come out but it will cover that entire bridge in just minutes so you can see the systems working off the side there so they've got these trucks parked all over the place that's pretty amazing that is yeah. amazing and this is actually from the company that makes this thing. And uh, this is like a six minute video. It's just firing up here. And uh, I'll fast forward it a bit. And uh, you know, there you're looking at 
half a half a mile of this thing and uh we go further forward here uh you know this thing's got a mile mile and a half covered there it's a one kilometer minimum coverage which is 2.2 miles wow so and this and is in a six minute video that's how far that thing spread you know what you know it's coming to mind right now it's it's i know i know what people are gonna say i told you chemtrails are real yeah there you go chemtrails it is chemical it is yeah yeah but is it changing the climate or making it rain uh, i don't know we've we've been rainy for the last week but that's pretty normal this time of year <laughs> so what so you're thinking then as we head into the christmas season and into new years you the word on the street is that Ukraine might be building up to something to make a, a bit of a, a splash um, to try and get some attention and secure more funding by securing a win. Yeah, on Crimea specifically. You know, they're constantly up along that Kherson uh, donbass line. It's a, it's a daily thing those guys go through. I, I wouldn't want to be them. I talk to uh, Russell Bentley all the time, and uh, it's a constant ongoing thing there. Uh, drones flying over, them shooting drones back, the artillery. Um, you know, it's a regular war zone up that way. But mm -hmm. what they need, they aren't making any progress in those regions, and they're expecting a Russian offensive up there. So... Um, what we expect is, you know, the big splash would be Crimea. Yeah. And I guess that's the other thing is when last we spoke, we had seen or you had seen and reported that there were a lot of troop movements in uh, in your area, I guess, uh, and in some adjacent areas and Russian troops kind of moving into positions where they might be in in place to launch offensives. And then Ukrainian troops repositioning into more defensive postures and surrounding yeah. key strategic areas like Kiev. So yeah. are we still in that pattern right now? Yeah, we haven't seen anything moving around Crimea in the last week or so. Um, but what I'm seeing from some of my sources in Ukraine is that they're... Um, really kind of trying to build a three-line defense on the west side of the Dnieper River. And um, they're moving a lot of their air defenses and stuff up into Kiev. And that seems to be the strategy that's used these days. The, the new form of warfare is three lines of defense. Can you explain how that works? I have no clue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's yeah, that's I, outside of my realm, yeah. Yep, yeah, I've just I've, I've yeah. heard yeah many references to that, and when they punch through one line, it's very it's very difficult to penetrate uh, the three line defense systems, and both sides use seem to use that strategy. So yeah. we'll we'll definitely be keeping an eye on what goes on, and you know we are at the end of the year, so um, if everything we've been hearing is it holds, uh, we'll probably see some some serious developments in within the next week or two. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Anything else we should focus on here today or think that uh, maybe we're missing, Kevin, or have we covered the bases? I think we've covered the bases. All right. Well, we hit folks, everything we were going to. Yep. And and once again, tell people how they can uh, find your work, Kevin. Well, you can reach me at the uh, website on the screen, uh, infowars.press, or you can find my more social channel where we do interviews, life in Crimea at americancrimea.site. And that's just American Crimea, one word, dot site. All right. More truth from Kevin Michaliti. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the program. My pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Jingle bells. Trudeau smells. Biden laid an egg. Klaus Schwab's deal has no appeal. But tomorrow is a brand new day. Hey everyone. Have a merry maverick Christmas. And a magnificent new year. If you don't think that Abe Lincoln is still alive, well, what else do I have to do to, to prove it to you? But show you that. Donald Trump is Abraham Lincoln. After all, have you ever seen Trump and Lincoln in the same place at the same time ever? <laughs> no. There you go. There's a post from Donald Trump. The last time the Democrats took someone off the ballot was in 1860. They would not allow a man named Abraham Lincoln to be so much as mentioned in slave states. Hmm. And, you know, Trump, when running in the past, has often mentioned Abraham Lincoln. He is... Someone I think that uh, has had influence over Donald Trump's attitudes, perspective, his life. Definitely. And he is under fire and he has just posted this commenting on his ongoing legal troubles. Here he is. Donald Trump. The man who says, they're not just coming for me, they're coming for you. I'm just in the way. Sirs are using the crooked Joe Biden indictments of his political opponent, me, against us by strongly proclaiming that the United States is a corrupt and failing democracy. They are using it left and right. They are using it like never before. They are making us look very bad, making us look like a third world country or a banana republic. Thank you. Indeed, 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 indeed. And still on presidential politics, but with a little bit of a different twist tonight. Yeah. John Schneider, good old boy, Dukes of Hazard. Good old Duke boy, he's in a bit of hot water tonight. 
Oh, yeah. Yes, he is. John Schneider being investigated, being accused of threatening President Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. The allegation is that he posted on Twitter, or X, calling for Joe Biden to be hung. Yeah, those are his words. Now he's coming out and denying it, saying he never did any such thing. But he is in a bit of, maybe in a bit of hot water. And the reason I say that is you don't have to look far to find the screenshots of his post. Now let's maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. Hasn't been proven guilty in court. And this is a very serious allegation. Maybe this is a complete fabrication. The post was apparently deleted, but not before. People say they screenshotted this thing and leveled complaints with the authorities. Now, John Schneider's in a bit of trouble, maybe. There's the post. Mr. President, I believe you are guilty of treason and should be publicly hung. Your son, too. Your response is? Question mark. Sincerely, John Schneider. So, yeah, as I say, he uh, is denying it. He has made statements to some sort of entertainment-related media um, saying that uh, he said here, in his words, seriously, folks, I said no such thing, despite headlines claiming otherwise. I absolutely did not call for an act of violence or threaten a U.S. president. And then he came up with an expanded statement after that. He said, seriously, folks, this is my final comment on this. I neither said nor implied any such thing, despite headlines claiming otherwise in my post. I absolutely did not call for an act of violence or threaten a U.S. president, as many other celebrities have done in the past. I suggest you reread my actual post and pay attention to the words before believing this nonsense. It's my position, he says, which I'm entitled to have, that some of our nation's leaders in Washington have lost their way and corruption runs rampant, both on our nation's borders and abroad. Transparency and accountability must happen in order for our constitutional republic to survive. There is no threat implied or otherwise in that statement. And this uh, comes on the anniversary of his wife's death. Um, and he was supposed to be interviewed on Fox. And Fox has since canceled all interviews with him. So it's costing him already. Makes me kind of wonder. Maybe... Maybe somebody sabotaged him. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that people get heated. They get upset. They don't think sometimes. Uh, sometimes they maybe indulge a little too much. I'm not saying John Schneider did any of those things. But, you know, it's, it's not wise 
to threaten a president or a prime minister or any politician or anyone, especially online where it's super public, even if you don't really mean it. If you level a threat like that, especially against a president or a prime minister, you're probably going to end up at some point in court, maybe arrested, maybe in jail, and maybe for a long time. Threatening the president is a crime. In Canada, it can be a crime too. Um, as a as a, a 25-year-old woman out in Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan found out. There's a lady out there. Her name is Marley Dancero. She's 25. And she was on social media on a Zoom meeting. And this goes back, oh my goodness. I remember the story and it goes back to October. And she is, uh, yeah, she's, she's in a bit of hot water too. I'm not exactly sure where her court case sits at this time or at what point in the process it's at, but, um, as far as I know, still not resolved. She's her case is still winding its way through the courts. And this is the post that got her in trouble. And I run it for you tonight, just to give you an example of what, how, how emotion maybe can get you into a heap of trouble. This is, this is the way that went down. Check this out. Guess who was in no, LeBron last weekend? Fuckface was. That doesn't I was surprise literally me. hours away from him. And if I fucking could get off work and go kill the motherfucker, I fucking would. He was fucking hours away. Give it about five seconds. Uh, hey, hey, I got some gas money. I got some gas money. I got some gas money. Hey, if someone's willing to pay my hourly wage so I can skip work and go and do that, fuck I would. I'd do us all a favor. I'd pay Did he punch you? Did he put hands on you? Did he put hands on you? Yes. No. Yes, he did. Put hands on my children. That's the difference. Well, that, she knows well, where children, I'm going. Yeah. I'm I'm like, I can't do anything unless he put hands on you. And he why, can't we, why can't we be more like the states <laughs> where like our prime minister's into hunting or something and we could go for like a turkey shoot? Don't do that. It's not smart. Now she's in, she's been charged. She's going through court. She's got a heap of trouble, right? And legal bills. Don't do that. Watch what you say. Be careful. If you don't, even if you don't mean it, it doesn't matter. If you say it, you say it. And they will come after you. They can and they will. So just don't do that. I'll be right back.
Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay. Now, to lighten things up just a little bit, um, we have a star-studded cast reading how the Prime Minister stole freedom. Coming up right after this. Greetings, brave mavericks. Our quest for truth continues. We go beyond fake news. Together we expose propaganda. Together we pull others out of rabbit holes. We are maverick thinkers. We are all unique individuals, individuals, defenders of individual rights and freedoms, credible, trusted, grounded in reality. Maverick News, Maverick News. Defending free speech, free speech, speech. Donate at freedomreporters.com. Do it now. Tomorrow may be too late. Too late. Too late. Maverick News. The world is watching. Okay, so I'm looking at the date here. It's uh, December 21st. That means Christmas is almost here, so... Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess I should at least start thinking about getting ready for Christmas. Better, uh, yeah, at least thinking about it. <laughs> My wife came home. She said that she's um, she's leaving tomorrow. I said, "What are you talking about?" Le yeah, it's 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 Christmas. I have to I have to go to your parents' house. I said, "What?" She says, "When do you come?" I'm, what are you talking about? It's Christmas. It's already here. Tomorrow's Friday. Yeah, so family's gathering already. So I'm gonna have to. Uh, figure things out time to think about it um you know what christian christian freeland canada's deputy prime minister and finance minister should probably be thinking about the people a little bit more this is a clip that's been making the rounds i'm going to play it for you because in this season of giving and need when the need is most pronounced christian freeland is clearly out of touch she was asked this over the past week and uh this was actually quite appalling be with you uh minister I, i'm hoping today that we can have a conversation where we, we get some answers and hear from you personally about how this affordability crisis that we're living in is truly understood i think canadians have watched they listened to press conferences they've seen the announcements you know they watched as the grocery ceos were paraded in and questioned but my sense is that people are feeling that the liberals don't get it, that they aren't feeling the tough choices that Canadians are making either to their budgets or in the grocery store. Uh, what example, not an announcement, what example can you share that would illustrate that you understand the, the pain in the pinch that Canadians are feeling at the grocery store when they're doing budgets? You know, how does it look in the Freeland household when we're in a cost of living crisis? Well, you know, Anne-Marie, I think the thing that, like, in my regular life, uh, brings the challenge home the most personally to me 
is that my church, which is around the corner from my house, just up the street from us here, uh, the Church of the Messiah, uh, has a food bank every Wednesday. And the lines have been getting longer. And that is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that we have food banks in Canada. And it's really heartbreaking um, to see that people really need them. So I am grateful to the really amazing people at the Church of the Messiah who have worked so hard to have a food bank and to support our community. And um, it really, it kills me that that's something that they need to do, that we need to do. Yeah, a national report was released recently that the, the numbers are up at record numbers. There's people who are employed who are using it to, to buy things like milk and eggs because it's just expensive. Exactly. She is the finance minister. Why don't you do something about it? It's your policies that have impoverished people. It's your policies that have created an enhanced and expanded need for food banks. You are supposed to create an economic environment of growth and prosperity so that people don't have to go to food banks. But you keep printing money and spending money like it's going out of style and we're so far in debt that it's fueled inflation. People can, a lot of people can't afford to put a turkey on the table this Christmas. Some people are working two and three jobs. Same in the United States. They keep pointing to job numbers, creating jobs. The Biden regime keeps pointing to job numbers, but if you really analyze it, those additional jobs, most of those are jobs being taken by people who already had jobs. They're part-time jobs on top of jobs that they've already had. Already had. So some people are now working two, in some cases, even three jobs in order to pay the bills. And savings have been pretty much eaten up. And we're getting to the end of the rope for a lot of people. And the finance minister just sits there and says, well, it breaks my heart to see that we have food banks. It breaks my heart that we actually have to have food banks. So the government, she's the government, she's the finance minister, and she's looking to the church for the solution to the economic problems that she's creating with her fiscal policies. It just blows my mind. And it just did not seem to me at all like she was sensitive in any way to what people are going through. At all. So not only, so, I mean, she really, in conjunction with Prime Minister Trudeau, the two of them, have done a pretty effective job, I would say, of uh, stealing Christmas. They certainly have done an effective job of stealing freedom. And Derek Smith, 
his best-selling book, How the Prime Minister Stole Freedom, still topping the charts over on Amazon. And yeah, you can buy it online from him. I don't know if Derek is in the chat. He might even be in there tonight. Um, so look for Derek in there. We're going to run a new video that just came out with a star-studded cast of freedom fighters reading Justin Trudeau's favorite book, How the Prime Minister Stole Freedom. We'll do it when we come back right after this. Jingle bells. Trudeau smells. Biden laid an egg. Klaus Schwab's deal has no appeal. But tomorrow is a brand new day. Hey everyone. Have a merry maverick Christmas. And a magnificent new year. Okay, here we go. How the Prime Minister Stole Freedom. Justin Trudeau's favorite book. Oh, yeah! Welcome back to The Fringe, ladies and gentlemen. As Christmas season is definitely upon us and Christmas Day creeping ever more closely, it's a time where people like to spend time with family, with friends, to talk about the good, the bad. And if you've been good this year and paid just enough carbon tax, you may be fortunate enough to experience a white Christmas. As we spend time with one another, it's also a time for reflection. And as I personally reflect over the last year and a half, I look back on a time of fondness, a time where uh, I was able to entertain everyone, a time where I was able to make people laugh when people were somewhat at their lowest. After experiencing lockdowns and divisive pressure from government over the last few years, it's been my ultimate pleasure to sit around and entertain you guys, both on YouTube and with our literary pieces, such as How the Prime Minister Stole Freedom, One Face, Two Face, Black Face, Blue Face, Hold the Line, The Ballad of Tamara Leach, and our newest book, How the Prime Minister Broke Canada. Tradition is often something that's carried on forward in our house, and this time of year, we often read books like Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Now, the Grinch failed at stealing Christmas, but one thing I don't want to fail at this year is ruining Justin Trudeau's. And well, everybody, that's going to be my gift to you this year. So as we sit back and relax, I want to give back to the community in all shapes and forms by a rendition of a very cult classic book in my household, and one that's often requested, with a reading of How the Prime Minister Stole Freedom. In the city of Ottawa, on Parliament Hill. The Canadian government debate and pass bills. Everyone in Canada liked freedom a lot, but the Prime Minister, who lived on the hill, did not. He hated it all, even the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Please don't ask why. We don't know the reason. There's no explanation that started it all, but maybe that his brain was three sizes too small. He stood at his window looking down at the town, sipping his cardboard juice box, water bottle sort of thing with a frown. 
people kind, he muttered. They think they are free, but what they don't realize is they work for me. My accounts are in need of filling and I have just the excuse I need. A new virus is spreading called COVID-19. It turns out the virus was spreading very quick. The people were frightened and got very sick. The minister held a conference with every new station as he pitched his plan to the rest of the nation. We need to adapt to a new set of rules. We will start by saying that we'll close the schools. Speaking moistly spreads germs, and since that's the case, we'll simply give you this mask to cover your face. Everything closes except big box stores. We really just need you all staying indoors. We need to keep everyone safe. This is not to be mean. Just stay in your house until we find a vaccine. The public obeyed and followed the rules until the government showed that they took them for fools. Some didn't wear masks during their conversations, and some even went on lavish vacations. For months, the feds handed out cash and donations, which triggered a bad thing that we call inflation. Prime Minister continued on his spending spree until Big Pharma announced a new COVID vaccine. He assembled his cabinet in a secretive meeting, but his colleagues gave him an unwelcome greeting. Your leadership is tainted with elitist disgrace as you dance like a fool and dress up in blackface. Our polls are now dropping from lockdowns and fear. You need a new plan, and it needs to be clear. Everyone be calm and please hear my pitch for I am about to make all of you rich. A vaccine's been announced and now you will see everyone in the country will listen to me. We've locked them down tight from each other for ages and I've carefully reduced their freedoms in stages. We'll tell them the science is right on our side and to get their lives back, they simply comply. And how do you think the profits are driven? We own the patent for every jab given. And what will we do if they try to resist? We will label them all racist misogynists. And when they get their shot and think this is all done, we'll just shift the rules and up it by one. We can say that it's mutated three times a year and push boosters annually to drive up the fear. The cabinet smiled. As they all agreed, the Prime Minister's plan was sure to succeed. The government pushed mandates with all of their might as people labeled each other and began to fight. Protests on both sides as to which side was right, all the hatred and division had no end in sight. Food prices shot up as wages stayed low and energy costs continued to grow and housing it bubbled Students couldn't make rent, so they continued to live in their parents' basement. Many people were fired or took daily swabs for refusing the vaccine over their jobs, until one day the tide had started to turn, an assistant approached, looking very concerned. Sir, the truckers are furious with mandates and rules. They claim that we are the ones that are fools. They say that we ignored their requests and their rights and that they will continue protest with no end in sight. They're driving their trucks here. They're already deployed and some are now calling it a freedom convoy. The prime minister sneered and laughed. 
deep in his throat. He composed himself, and then he started to glow. My dear assistant, listen to me. These truckers are a small fringe minority. We can make them look awful. The people listen to me. We run this show, for I am science, you see. We'll make them look terrible. That, and they'll turn around, and no single protester will be left to be found. From coast to coast, the truckers drove through the snow, and their small fringe numbers continued to grow. Then one day a trucker appeared in the town, with thousands behind them for miles around. They filled every street as a big honking team. As the Prime Minister claimed, I have COVID-19. I really must go. I'm infectious, you see. And spend a week hide up er, under quarantine. For days, the Prime Minister hid in his home. But the truckers refused to leave him alone. I simply don't get it. I don't get it one bit. The truckers won't leave. They continue to sit. They've blown bouncy houses and barbecues in the streets. Why won't they simply admit their defeat? Dance parties, horn honky, as flags wave to and fro. These horrible truckers, they just have to go. As the days went on, it continued to grow as the prime minister cursed them and said to go home. But the truckers refused. They continued to stand for everyone's rights to return to the land. Then one day, the Prime Minister answered back with aggression and held an emergency cabinet session. And if you asked the people in Parliament, they'd say that his brain shrunk three sizes that day. The protests must stop. They make me look bad, so I am invoking the Emergencies Act. Their voices and support continued to mount, so we'll pull their funding and freeze bank accounts. It's only for a short time, and I have a good reason. The people are supporting terrorism and treason. We will remove all the protesters with fines or by force, but only if they refuse to leave here, of course. Their numbers grow with each passing hour. So I'll bestow cops with increase in power. The protesters stayed despite all their warnings until the hordes of police arrived the next morning. The police were told the force was approved before the police charged and started to move. They pushed people back, crushed old ladies with horses, and even shot tear gas at independent reporters. The Prime Minister smiled as he looked down on the town at the people fleeing and scurrying around. The truck windows will be smashed and then towed away while we rack up impound charges and fines they can pay. And when this is done, the people will know that I am their freedom and I'm in control. The truckers all left on foot or in cuffs as the police came in and took all their stuff. The Prime Minister was sure his plan would succeed. That is until Parliament began to proceed. The Prime Minister sat with a smug look on his face until the opposition stood and put him in his place. Mr. Prime Minister, please listen to me. Our country isn't a dictatorship, it's a democracy. You cannot silence people for being too proud or waving their flags or being too loud for standing in support of their fellow man, 
or telling them their freedom is going to be banned. So listen to me and make no mistake, their freedom was something you simply can't take. It isn't physical like a truck or a bus. Our freedom resides in each one of us. Our charter of rights and freedom stand true and cannot be undone, even by you. Your actions have caused us all great offense. So today I call for a vote of no confidence. The prime minister jumped. You can't do this to me. But the motion was granted and allowed to proceed. The votes came in and the prime minister was out as he was escorted outside while he continued to shout. Welcome back freedom for one and for all. Welcome back freedom for the tall and the small, home of the true north, the strong and the free, and the red and white flag with a red maple leaf. I love this book. When I was asked to pick a great Canadian book to recommend, um, I was really stumped for a while. I read so many great Canadian books that I've loved. Uh, that picking one was going to be really, really difficult. Except when I realized that if I went back to the first Canadian book, first Canadian story that I really loved, uh, how the Prime Minister stole freedom, came immediately to mind. Uh, and to see how well it aged, so funny and relevant still, uh, and to know that a few years from now, my children uh, will be reading and laughing of this Prime Minister. Uh, is for me what makes this a great Canadian book. Hello, Derek. This is your friend, Elon. I just wanted to congratulate you on all your successes with the unacceptable fringe. As you know, um, I read your first book, How the Prime Minister Stole Freedom, and all your other books, and I love your style. And, um, as you asked me, I called Jeff Bezos and he told me he made sure that everyone could buy your books easily on Amazon. I've also updated your website, unacceptablefringebooks.com, so people can buy your books there too. By the way, um, my aerospace specialists are still analyzing the feasibility of your project to send Justin Trudeau into the sun. I know you'd like it to happen quickly. I don't want to go. I don't want to go into the sun. Shut up. Go back in your cage. He never listens. Anyway, goodbye, my friend, and let me know if you need anything. You have my number. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was an an honor to uh, to be included in that. And I'm sorry, Juicy Juicy says that guy in the video looked just like Rick Walker if he wasn't dressed like a Jesuit. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, and thank you, Derek, for uh, for doing that and for including me and the Maverick family. So, guys, I'm going to wrap it up there for tonight. Can't top that. That's as good as it gets. If you need a last-minute Christmas gift, there you go. Um, that'll be a gift that keeps on giving long after Christmas if you, you buy a copy of that for someone. So with that, we will wrap it up for the evening. Love you guys. Be back tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Sean Buckley, National Citizens Inquiry, uh, talking about that final report and what comes next, looking at the government's response to the pandemic. Catch you all then on the flip side. 
This has been a Maverick Multimedia Productions.